Oh, we're live. We're live. I was waiting for the countdown. Yeah, me too. I was like, let's get the beat going on and get pumped up, and then there's no countdown, and we're live. It's actually a good intro. Like, I kind of wanted to hear it too, not just uh, from right? a, a show flow perspective. All right, so how's it going, everyone? So Matt Topper here with Kyle Spooner. So we are filling in for Ray. Um, how's everyone doing? Great to, to be here Friday. Uh, so this is going to be a different show. It might be quick because uh, Kyle and I are just going through a few stories, but I think it'll be filled with advice just like uh, like any other show. So how's it going, Kyle? Uh, it's going great. Uh, I have decided I'm going to disagree with every point you make, regardless if it's right or not, uh, so that uh, we have some nice debate during the talk today. <laughs> that would make for an entertaining show, if nothing right. else. I disagree. Why? Uh, <laughs> reasons. I like it. I like it. <clears throat> um, so we're going to do the same thing. We picked a couple of stories out from the the reddit msp kyle i think we should start doing some interesting threads that come up like on discord or slack and say Ooh, we should talk yeah. about those too be yeah. a good idea for next time someone write that down <laughs> all right so oh my god Ooh. i need a microscope for this oh, um, it's in white too oh who used the old one old reddit yeah, old Reddit's the best Reddit, let's be honest. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. All right. So the story is long ticket notes. And I read this before, so I'll, I'll summarize so you don't have to read the entire uh, thing. This is from the perspective of a tech who I, I wouldn't say got in trouble, but got talked to that their ticket notes were very long and, you know, like almost wrote a book in the tickets, is what I'm surmising. Um, you ever run into that, Kyle? Do you, do you have texts uh, who do that, or do you have advice for someone who's hearing so that? Like it? I I like this. This is actually probably a really really good point, um, because I've trained probably hundreds of technicians uh, on you know how to work in a PSA and how to write notes and you know communicate with the client, right? Uh, and what this individual is doing, Mardo Lardo, uh, needs to continue to be doing. Um, I would highly recommend that you continue writing your highly detailed notes, as long as it's not taking you hours to write them right. It has to be yeah. concise enough to be uh, efficient, but still convey all your points. Um, but, and here's the kicker, they should be for internal notes for the any technician who may be reviewing your ticket or may have to look at it later or is reviewing it from like a similar issue has occurred and they have found your ticket and now you have a detailed explanation of what happened and how to solve it the client information should be bullet points uh, a summarization of that long detailed information um, just to explain hey look this happened this was the cause this is it's been fixed uh, let me know if it happens again or there's any other issues right Short, yeah. simple, concise to the client, long, detailed, informative to anyone else internally who's looking at the ticket. Yeah, I agree. We we always used to say that think of the client, and I'm referring to ConnectWise because we were a ConnectWise partner, but all PSAs have the concept of time entry and internal notes. Um, think of the time entry that you put in as you, this is your email you're writing to the client and you know, in, in most cases, that's literally true as well, but also in the way that you should think of it. And then the the internal only section is where you put these are all the steps I followed when it happened again. It was because of this weird issue at this customer. Um, <clears throat> the the customer, the client's not going to care about all those details about all of that. Um, I had to follow these ten steps, and here's the KB entry. Um, and, and the other big point about this is don't trust that the internal notes are internal right i've definitely seen somebody like put man this client's such a jerk or they're really annoying and th that ends up the client sees it somehow um either like you screen shared or took a photo or something or you, didn't, you put it in the wrong box like be very careful about um what you put in those that's not the place for it that's the second thing i say to new tech to technicians i'm training uh every act as if every Thing you put in the ticket a client will read uh 
because it is entirely possible that uh, they look over your shoulder or uh, you leave your computer unlocked at, at the client site, right? There's a number of scenarios where it could easily occur where someone can see your screen uh, or see the notes that you've been put. And uh, feel free to put things like, I'm frustrated at this situation because I'm having trouble. Like, I language, as in you, the technician, uh, never do anything related to the client. Um, but uh, yeah, it's that's the second thing I, I generally train on. Um, there's been some issues with that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like never trust the mute button on phone calls, right? Exactly. It doesn't work. It, it never works. Uh, uh, there's some issues with that too. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it, uh, good information. Uh, always take your frustrations after you're done communicating with a the client. Then go yes. air your frustrations outside of your shot from anyone who can hear you. Uh, if you need to take a second, Hey, I need, I need to go take, I need to go for a walk real quick. And then, then air your grievances to the world. I, I think Ray and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. Like if, if you have that kind of interaction with a client, like come to my desk and like yell at me or use me as a sounding board or yeah. somebody else. Um, and, and stay away from that frustration of client. I mean, easier said than done. It, it's something you get a little better at as you've been around longer. Um, so when you're, when you're talking or training your text, do you have them send an email with every time entry, right? Like treat it almost as an email or are there some that are just kind of, here's what I did, updated this thing and, and that's it. Or is everything just assumed that like closed loop communication with that? Uh, I always have them. So any, uh, and I would advise anyone else to do this as well. Uh, anyone should not be, any technician should not be utilizing email as a method of communication, like Outlook email as mm -hmm. a method of mm -hmm. communication. Uh, everything should be done inside of a ticket. Um, and if it's not done in a ticket, it doesn't exist uh, because there's no, I'm not going to do your email to find, communicate with someone, right? Uh, but every communication you do inside of the ticket, in my opinion, should be phrased as if you're emailing the client. Um, right. Hey, Mr. Client, just want to give you an update on everything we're working on and everything we're doing. Uh, let, uh, let me know if you have any other problems or questions or issues or whatever. Uh, thanks. And we already have a signature assigned in the tickets, right? So um, that's that's my personal opinion on that subject because you're communicating with a client and just like you would email, it should be professionally done and have some type of code. Yeah, I, I agree too. Like emailing clients directly is just asking for something to get dropped later or something to get lost. Or uh, most likely they'll email you something two weeks down the road after you're done working on them, especially if it's for a tech, right? Somebody who's not assigned to that account, just working on a, a rotating help desk kind of ticket. And next thing you know, you have a critical issue sitting in somebody's inbox that you haven't seen for two weeks. Yep. Oh, they take vacation too, and then you know your PTO or you're sick, and then you don't answer email, and they're like calling and complaining to the account manager, the CEO. Why did I get my stuff resolved? I'm like, would you open a ticket? I emailed Wait, so you. Let so. Your, you let your text take vacation? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, our work <laughs> culture is fantastic. We are we are um, hiring. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, right. but it, it. You ready to go to the next one? No, we can keep going. If we have more talk about, let's go. Uh, so there's there's one more point I'd like to point out because uh, there's this thing we kind of glossed over is a level one technician. Uh, yes. And the issues that are generally given to a level one technician uh, don't always need to be super detailed, right? Uh, fix a printer. Um, print queue was broken. Uh, password resets, things like that. So... Um, as you, the level of technician you as an individual are uh, increases, uh, the detail of your notes should also increase for specifics, right? Uh, if you say, I wouldn't necessarily say I went into the server and restarted principle.exe, um, you should have a, a general understanding of what you're resolving, right? So you can say, I restarted the principle and those reading your ticket should understand that the principle or on the server has been restarted and that fixed it. Right. Um, so. No, that, that's a good point. Right. So enough detail that you're, you, you don't want to confuse the person you're talking with the 
the end customer. Um, but you do want enough detail that if a tech comes and reads it later, they'll have a clue what you did, um, especially if they're looking at, hey, somebody had this issue a year ago. Let me see what this person did to resolve it. And, you know, if your notes are like fixed issue, um, that doesn't help anyone, which, which no. I've seen happen. So much. <clears throat> hey, Mr. Client, resolve your problem. Let us know if it happens again. Hey, it happened again. How did I fix that? <laughs> I wouldn't even know what the problem was. Right. Do um do you have any tips or, or any suggestions for techs about how to write better emails and ticket notes? And oh. what I mean by that is we've had techs come in that like I'm, I'm without trying to like totally throw anyone under the bus, they they couldn't write. Like they had bad communication skills and needed to work on them. How, how have you addressed that? Um oh, that's a tough one because everyone has bad communication skills it's not just it people like it's and I, and I mean this as someone who works for a mid to large size msp uh from the top down communication is just horrible from all endpoints so mm -hmm. uh you're always gonna miss information you're always going to uh f forget what specifics uh need to be mentioned um, so my advice is to constantly work on it and utilize tools that are external, um, that you can, such as ChatGPT. <laughs> uh, <laughs> put in what you like, take chat, like a no, good no example joke. is to take a, what you're going to type to the client, go, Hey, ChatGPT, can you rewrite this in a more professional manner and then slap it on that? Uh, and then it'll spit out now. Bear in mind, do not input uh, anything PII or uh, IP related into ChatGPT because it will it is recording and training itself constantly on anything that's on the free version of ChatGPT. Um, so keep that in mind. Don't do that. Um, but you can take, uh, you know, hey, John, uh, restarted the server uh, and the principal are on the server and everything seems to be up and running. Uh, or, you know, that's probably still kind of professional, but you can take what ChatGPT tells you and what you want to tell the client and learn from that how to do it. You can also look at someone who does it really well and learn what phrasing and wordings they use. Um, it, it's, it's so important, right? There, there's an art to this and the same message phrased differently is just a completely different outcome and different interaction with the client. It, it turns a um, something that would have been a negative if said bluntly into at least an understanding and okay kind of conversation. Um, um, on, Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to add in that uh, something to always keep in mind, and this isn't just for client communication, but any communication you have via text-based form, how you write it is not how someone will read it. Um, you have to understand that, and uh, you have to use better phrasing. You have to get pra you have to practice at it. Um, it's it, it can be difficult to understand where you messed up in certain phrasing because you're you know I, you can have an upbeat conversation and you know with negative things but once you phrase that in text it seems like you're screaming or yelling at someone um or just bad mouthing them completely when it's not that's not that's not the same tone because you can't read yeah. tone in text um, sarcasm doesn't come through sarcasm is definitely doesn't come through uh unless you like highlight it and it's someone you've worked with and known like there's a relationship aspect to that as well um, which means your communications with uh, someone you've been working with for years is much uh, less professional, less uh, on point with someone who you never worked with before. Um, you have to make sure that you're not transposing either one of those. Uh, you're not assuming a relationship with someone you don't have um, and make sure that you use uh more professional wording. It's hard to say. Uh, you can ask ChatGPT. It'll give you a nice uh, explanation. Yeah. And we, we saw a comment uh, a minute or two ago that said, be careful what you say to clients, which is a huge point, um, not only just from a tone perspective, but from a client, especially if, if something is going poorly, we'll hang on every word of this and start dissecting it. And right. So if you, especially if you do something you don't have the authority to do, like promise you're going to give time back or give money back or something oh, yeah, like that. that, or right. Or if, if you make a promise that, 
hey, this is the absolute fix. It's done, right? And and that turns out not to be true. There's a big reputational hit for that. So yeah. so without saying hedge things, but just be careful about setting realistic expectations when you do this, right? It, it all goes back to expectation setting, like so many other communication things. Yeah, I'd say never use absolutes in text-based communication. That way you're covering yourself for regardless. Uh, we should have everything fixed. Let me know if there's any other issues. Yeah. Uh, I'll, always assume it's going to break again uh, and always assume. Uh, and if you don't like in going back to the reference of, you know, giving money or discounts or whatever, be like, I'll, I'll pass this information on to my supervisor and let them make the decision. Yeah. Um, with the account managers deal with that. Yeah. Um, so it's just never use absolutes and that will help you in making sure you can set and maintain a client expectations. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Any other comments on ticket notes? I think we've more or less beaten this one to death. All right. Let's move on. I'm blinded again. Hold on. Got to adjust this from the sunlight. <laughs> right. Get the binoculars out. Um, so the, oh, we didn't read the responses. That's all right. We'll, we'll do it on this one. How do you manage escalations internally? So even the thread title, I think, is a good topic without even getting into the specifics of, um, let's just even talk about escalations. Like, I, I assume they're internal. So when you have a tech who's working on or stuck on something, uh, how does he and how is he taught to decide when to send that up to the next tier? Um, what does it look like? What what? What do they do? What's the criteria for I'm stuck on this? Is it time-based? Is it a judgment call? Both. So we, there has to be some kind of hard limit, right? Uh, us as most technicians uh, really enjoy solving IT-related puzzles. So we can get stuck in the weeds of trying to solve some really complex puzzles without the knowledge um, that some of the higher level technicians have and the experience of that. Mm -hmm. um, when you escalate a ticket from level one uh, to the next level, we tend, we, we try to say uh, within 30 minutes, you should reach out to your team lead and verify uh, if you need to escalate or move it. Um, so, we, we keep that as a point of having someone to come in and be like, oh, you're close to solving this. You, you should be, you know, you're, you've made a lot of headway. You can go ahead and finish this up. Or this is kind of really outside your house. We should, we should move this up the chain. Um, that way uh, we can uh, elevate uh, our, our internal technicians. Uh, and we encourage them to go back and figure out what the actual resolution was so that they can learn. Um, but generally, we, at, at that 30-minute mark, we want them to have someone else come and verify if they should move it or if they should continue on it. So 30 minutes or uh, are there certain classes of issues where somebody might get it and immediately escalate, right? We, we used to do things um, if it was obviously a server related issue, level one would automatically escalate that to level two, or if it was a security incident, um, we'd have that auto escalate to a different team uh, immediately. So, so when it, Comes to escalations, though. Um, actually, first comment on on that. It looked like you were about to say yeah. something. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that obvious uh, initial escalations are that obvious, um, right? Because even if it's a server issue, like there's going to be something where it might need to be moved up the chain, uh, like a, a mm -hmm. security incident, like someone's been breached or someone has business email compromised, like that. I can easily see. That's not going to be something level one could easily shut down and that gets escalated in a critical emergency situation. Um, but a normal ticket that's not a critical, I don't know that it's going to be super obvious initially uh, that I would be comfortable with them making the judgment consistently. Um, level ones are generally really inexperienced and can tend to uh, not be willing to come out of their comfort zones. Um, so that'd be the only hesitation I'd have with them making the judgment of escalations because 
we we want them to learn and train and how are they going to do that without solving complex problems and sometimes you're you get a simple problem that looks complex and sometimes you mm -hmm. get a complex problem that's actually quite simple um and we want them to to learn and educate that so i don't know that i'd agree that i'd let them objectively uh without some like list of things uh, or critical ticket assignment yeah something very specific um these are the so maybe not the categories but these are the specific things if this comes up it needs to be auto escalated um and i guess it depends on what level your level one techs are right if they're they're truly like you know level 0 0.5 or like right out of you know this is my first day on my first it job that might be a different criteria than uh, someone who's an experienced level one tech and has been there a while and just hasn't moved up to level two yet. Um, but you segued perfectly into the point I was going to make about the other side of escalations, right? So there was always this battle internally from mm -hmm. the the senior guys versus the, the junior guys. And it was always some form of, man, we think that they are escalating too quickly. They haven't Googled the error message. They haven't checked the event logs. Um, are there any specific technical criteria or technical you have to Google it first where you have to check the event logs before you hit that escalate uh, parachute? Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. I think someone mentioned in the chat um, that they have a policy that uh, if they if a tier two or tier three accepts uh, an escalation from a tier one, they're responsible for going back and educating them. Um, I like that. Yeah, it is. Uh, someone else made a point that uh, why not have the tier one tech shadow the tier two tech uh, if time permits. And usually uh, usually time doesn't permit because there's always another ticket on the board that needs to get looked at. Um, and it's it's really hard to justify <laughs> right uh, to MSP leadership that it's worth it to spend that extra time in training that technician. I, don't get me wrong. I think it's super important um, for most cases to to have them shadow, but um, the ticket not as a frequent thing. It, it's got to be an yeah. occasional thing. Um, but there, I think there are better methods to educate technicians uh, that you can schedule for, like schedule a training time where you can take the tickets that have that you escalated and go back and review with a senior technician. I think that would be more beneficial and uh, easier to happen instead of immediately going to shadow that technician, because that technician may also may not be working on it uh, immediately. They may have something they have to yeah. finish up and work on and it gets scheduled later to work on. Um, so, with, so without trying to open the the in office versus remote Pandora's box here, this was a nice thing about being in the office a few years ago in that I would occasionally take some time and just kind of walk around to where the support desk guys were and like help them with something right at their desk, as opposed to um, them handing off the ticket completely. Like it was a great way to teach them, like stand next to them and say, click on this to do it as opposed to them just punting off the ticket and it was gone. Um, is that something that you've been able to replicate or is that something that, that you did and if so can you still replicate it in the remote world uh i think it's absolutely replicatable um replicable uh replicable yeah uh, the the issue i mean it is really nice to be able to just lean over and be like you should look at this this and this and then go back to my uh what i'm working on right um and having them be like hey i'm looking at this uh you know and and get a quick question and answer back and forth mm -hmm. um but it is repeatable in the fact that you can set up a Teams call and do the same exact thing, but you're just, you have a video like this, right? We can have a, yeah. a, a conversation and I can share my screen to you and you can share your screen to me and we can both remote into the same PC 99% of the time, depending on your tool sets and, uh, you know, look at the issue together. So that, that that's an, an absolute thing you can do. Um, uh, the issue that comes from that is uh, the text-based communication and understanding uh, it goes back to making sure that you're conveying the problem accurately and correctly uh, to those, those you're trying to get help with and that they're available to get help. Um, yeah. That's one thing you have to keep in mind if you do have that um, is making sure that they can, they are, they are at a point to where they can help you and assist you uh, and you're not constantly going to them uh, as a technician, as someone who's newer, make sure not to pick someone out, spread the, your questions. Um, it'll, 
give you different perspectives for one, but it also makes sure that you don't annoy someone with your questions uh, just out of them having to constantly teach you, right? Um, their role as a leader in the and in, in whatever company you have as their higher level than you is to help, but at some point they still have to do their own day job um, that they're paid to do, uh, that their primary job to, to mm -hmm. you know, close tickets and whatnot. So just keep that in mind as you're asking questions um, and give detailed questions. Uh, this is the issue. This is what I have discovered. These are the steps I have done. What would you recommend I do next? Uh, yes. Include as much information as possible. Um, because they're going to be like, have you looked at this, this, and this? Uh, and if you've already done that, uh, you've now just wasted roughly 15 minutes of both of your times and just typing back and forth. And because generally that's how it starts. Um, so keep that in mind. But that that's a super good point, though. Like as a senior tech, it's worth your time to spend some time investing in mm -hmm. the junior guys, right? Spending time doing joint troubleshooting and um really resist the urge to be an answer vending machine. Like it, it does not help you or help them to say, yeah, you know, do this by clicking on this or typing in this command. It, it helps more to, Hey, you should check out uh, this PowerShell command. And that's your answer somewhere in there, as opposed to just sending them a team's note with the entire syntax figured out. Now it, it depends on what it is, right? Sometimes it's so time sensitive. You can't do that, but I think at least it's worth your time as a senior investing in these guys and spending some time teaching them and teaching them how you come up with these things, not just showing them the answer all the time. I, I really struggled with that. Um, like I was an answer vending machine for a long time and like to the point where um, <clears throat> our, our company owner said, stop bothering Matt. He's not getting any other work done. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's useful. Um, and if you're a junior, just don't take advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, another issue that I've seen in MSPs is they don't invest internally to their technicians. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's also a problem that has to be resolved. Uh, just a, you, you can't expect someone to immediately be level two just because you hired them at level one, right? There is training and work on both sides to get to that point. Uh, and you should absolutely invest in your technicians to make them better, regardless of what method you choose to invest in them. Um, but to, to going back to escalations in general, um, this question specifically says level one directly escalates to level three. Uh, and I would highly disagree with that method. Um, there are, again, it goes back to specific situations, uh, mm -hmm. where you can, that would be allowed, but 90% of the time it goes up the next level, which would be level two. However, they don't have level two. Uh, according to that post, uh, <clears throat> they have let everyone, oh, let them, oh, see, look, our, uh, producing team is just doing great. Uh, we're back to non-blinding. Back to dark mode. Yeah. Uh, but they don't have level twos. Evidently they have either promoted all of their level twos or they've moved on and they haven't replaced them. Um, but level twos are where you solve most of your issues level one and level two there should be like it's it's a it's a funnel right most of your issues are solved by level one and then even more are solved by level two and level three gets few but they take longer to resolve right yes. um that's that's the general consensus uh, of how you want to schedule them but um you want to make sure that uh you're you're you have that middle level to solve those problems did, did you have a beyond level three like the, the way we did it is if the initial escalations like the managed services team got stuck then it would hit the projects team is the that's that's the, the, higher the same engineers thing we usually have, there pretty much um, same thing yeah we have level one two three and then we have our projects team and then we have our uh wearer of many hats uh who does literally everything uh yeah and that's the final if he can't fix it, we're opening a maybe, maybe it's a Microsoft issue. We have to talk. I like it. it there's something like critically wrong. Uh, if he can't fix the problem at that point, and there's only one of him. Uh, so we want to make sure that we measure his time wisely. But uh, you know, it, we have you know uh, such a uh, what we call our quick fix team, who's generally does most of uh, the quick simple things. Um, 
if it's not something that we immediately know it's simple, like a password reset or adding a printer or new user creation, stuff like that, then it goes to level one and then they escalate it to two and three and then it goes to our projects team. Yeah. And, and I was, I think many people watching this are probably that last resort guy. Like it was the escalation path from here is Microsoft. Uh, I, I was, and um, suspect you are Kyle, or at least uh, have been. I, uh no actually uh not no? for technical related things my technical ability uh is atrophied uh i'm more in the business side of the msp than technical uh i can still troubleshoot but it's going to take me a lot longer to get through uh, a situation than some of the people who constantly do it uh, but no it is not me uh, there are areas of expertise where i am that person um but it's not generally really like it's like i'm i run our, I, i'm in charge of our psa so if something happens yeah. with our psa then they come to me or uh, stuff like that but generally speaking i'm not the technical person this is such a good point like it's totally outside the question but the reality of uh techs who want to get promoted to management as a next step the realization that it's a totally different job and that your technical skills will diminish like when i took over projects um i stopped being that guy because I wasn't doing tech all day anymore, right? It, it, and you, you have to know what you're getting into when you do that. It's not just a, you get to still be rock star engineer and get paid more. It's, you have a totally different job and it's gonna suck in the beginning while you learn how to be a business person and manager. Yep, uh, you gotta worry about what money goes into what bucket and what process is being run and if the process is inefficient how to improve that process and where's communication happening making sure the communication is happening like it's uh the the skill sets you had start developing uh, are much different than similar puzzle solving in some areas but generally speaking it's more to do with conversations and meetings and communication and document writing than uh opening up a server and installing it and you know uh, throwing in VMware, Hyper-V, and configuring all the cool stuff that you used to be able to do. When I started doing that, I was like, can I take a break for a minute and go fix something? It'd be like a, a vacation. Yeah. Uh, I don't get to do that much anymore, but uh, I like start uh, doing many dev projects on the weekends uh, mm -hmm. because I used to... I really enjoy programming for some reason. Uh and so I like the other weekend, I actually wrote an app for the first time in like a year, uh, made a lot of progress on it. It was really nice. Uh, felt really good. So nice. for those who are not cool. doing it, uh, I encourage you to do your hobbies again that you used to do back in the day. <laughs> Pearl coming up. Yeah. All right. Um, so I think we can move on from escalations and Kyle, this has your, this story has you written all over it. This is, I know this is one of your big things. Um, but so the, uh, a later story has more. So the immediate question, I, I answered this by the way, in a thread. So you can all make fun of my response. Um, do you deal with the outgoing MSP or does the client? Uh, this is, oh, thanks Simon pulling mine up for the world yeah. to see. Uh, this is, this is a pretty simple answer yeah. in my opinion. Um, it depends. Uh, the first question you should ask is what does the client want? The client wants to deal with the handling of the situation, tell them the information that you need and have them get it. Uh, the second option is sometimes the client may have to deal with them. Uh, either they're not telling the MSP that they're leaving. Uh, like there's all kinds of weird situations in, involving stuff like that. So you want to be careful um, with those as well. Uh, and then if, if the client gives you permission to work with the MSP um, now, don't get your hopes up on how helpful that MSP will be. Uh, it could be a number of different things of why the client is leaving. Uh, sometimes the yeah. MSP will hand you a bucket of documentation and you'll be like, yay. Sometimes you might get one password and it doesn't work. So just uh, manage your expectations accordingly. Um, but generally speaking, uh, you, it's up to the client and how they want to deal with the situation. And, and so I would say the client always needs to at least make the first contact, right? Yeah. I mean, you, uh, otherwise, it's just, email for sure. yeah, it's or just you randomly like reaching out to an MSP saying, give me all that client's 
credentials and documentation. Um, what I wrote in the thread, and I'll repeat it here, is that after a while, you start to develop a, a working relationship with the other MSPs in your area, and it, it's worthwhile to stay friendly with them, at least cooperative. And if it's one of those, you usually get the, the client will give the notification, and then the people you've worked with in the past will just kind of work with you again, like the, the client still gets copied on the emails, but you feel more confident in, <clears throat> excuse me, in directly interacting with the MSP in that case, as opposed to having the client need to be the conduit for everything. Yeah. Um, there's also, uh, <coughs> to, to expand on that point, if <clears throat> you are the outgoing MSP in this case, do your best to give everything you can to the new new uh, individual make that onboarding offboarding as a smooth and simple as process as you can make it um because yeah. that's going to be what ends up being in the client's mind and it also is what the other msp uh is going to judge you on. and it's you know we're people like you know don't judge don't you know be all that stuff uh but people are going to judge people are going to make assumptions and that interaction, you know, you get the first 30 seconds, you have to make an impression, right? And this is your 30 seconds. Uh, so yeah. do your best to make sure that that offboarding is smooth as possible and be helpful without, uh, you know, breaking policy or process and uh, or upsetting the client in any way. Um, so just, well, just I, be mindful of that. In most cities, it won't be too long before a client's going in the other direction and mm -hmm. they're they're going to remember that if you were a jerk to them or if you were nice to them yeah and also if uh it'll make the new msp think the client was a bad one <laughs> because you're <laughs> right. being all helpful giving all the documentation you have yeah please uh, they'll be like please why are they going guys. away then uh that's suspicious that's yeah, well you fun. ever get that like i know occasionally i would have a a private like phone call or something with the outgoing MSP and, and they'd say, yeah, by the way, these guys never paid their bill or they've churned through every org in the city or one of those guys are like, awesome. Thanks for the warning. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a situation. Uh, and sometimes the, um, sometimes the situation isn't as black and white as, uh, it may appear to be, even if the old MSP says they're a horrible client or they're a great client, uh, there's a lot of context that's missing from those uh, general statements yeah. too. There are some, um, the, the classic, this is your fourth provider in the last two years. Yeah. Any deal. Those ones are the red flags. That's if they tell you that they're your fourth provider. <laughs> right. Um, that's all I have on that one. That was a pretty simple. Okay. One. Yeah. Let's keep going. I think we have a more interesting onboarding story next. Oh. Ooh. Uh, Part of your SLAs, do you have a clear standard process for clients for onboarding and offboarding? <clears throat> so this is like a like a merged question because SLAs. Yeah, like I read standard. that as like procedures. And yeah, it's, that's what I'm saying. But SLA makes it sound like do you have different times for when uh, you're allowed like. Uh, when you can answer an offboarding question or something is, uh, but I'm actually in the process of rebuilding our entire onboarding system at my MSP. Uh, and it, the answer is yes, you should have one and you should follow it. Uh, not everyone will, and you won't be able to follow it to a T to every client. Um, but you should have a standard onboarding and a standard offboarding. Um, mainly for consistency reasons, uh, you'd be surprised on how much information and data you have to collect. And it's all within a very short period of time. And it's very, very difficult to remember every bit of information you need to properly support a client and not having to go back and be like, well, I need this too, or, well, I need this as well. And can you give me this? Uh, because it's impossible. That, yeah. And that's going to upset the client, uh, make it feel like you're not prepared um, and set the relationship already on a rocky start. Uh, and that is the absolute, again, you go know, back to first impressions, right? This is the first impression of your services. Um, and you want to make sure that there's some type of system in place to be as consistent with it as possible. Uh, 
uh, yeah. When, when you're going through that, especially if you, you've not done a lot of onboardings before, you have this huge form, or at least, you know, we did, and it must have been a hundred questions. And it's kind of awkward the first time you feel like you're, you know, interrogating the client, asking them question after question after question. And some of these you can discern yourself, right, by looking at the network. And But many of them are, you know, who's your internet provider? What's the account number so that you can call into support? Are you an authorized on the VoIP provider? Like all that stuff. And you just get through it. Like just uh, the client gets it. They know they're changing IT providers and they will appreciate that you're trying to be that thorough and just get it all out of the way at the first meeting. Yes, and set the expectation. Have your sales staff set the proper expectations for the onboarding process. Um, and do not underutilize your sales team for collecting some of the information that will help you in the onboarding process, right? Mm -hmm. There's things that they collect in order to make a quote uh, proposal for the potential uh, <clears throat> person, to client, and uh, prospect. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, for the prospect. And that is almost invaluable for you to help plan and schedule and, and you know, the situation of onboarding itself. Um, because it's, it also depends on who's doing the onboarding. Um, sometimes there's a team, sometimes it's one person it just really depends on a ton of different things, but that it's going to help you where you need to go and spend your time. Um, and when you do ask those questions, uh, don't be afraid to prepare the client ahead of time that you're going to ask them a bunch of questions. Uh, and if you need to break it up into different sections, schedule multiple meetings, uh, break it down by type of question, like uh, policy procedure questions, business questions, uh, hardware questions, networking questions. Um, and it, it does a lot of good when you're badgering the client in that way. Uh, it may seem frustrating uh, initially, but you're trying to understand their business in a way that you can support them and help them grow uh, and utilize technology much more efficiently and a, uh, you know, according to their vertical. Uh, and you want to understand what they do, how they do it, and what makes them unique. And understanding that as well as understanding where they're currently at as far as technical uh, the technical layout goes uh, are critical to making sure that you have a long lasting partnership and you have zero turn. Yeah. That that's a critical point that a lot of companies miss that all the stuff that you can find yourself, like the, you know, is there a battery backup on the server and what kind of firewall, like you go look at all that stuff and don't bother asking your primary contact yeah. about that. Focus more on the, you know, what's your after hours look like? You know, what's the impact of this system to your business? If it goes down, what kind of state are you in? Like ask those kind of questions for two reasons. One, it's genuinely useful information. And two, uh, your competitors probably aren't asking that. It's a nice way to, to stand out about helping them and showing that you care about them as an outcome for their business, not just here to turn the wrenches and fix the tech. Yeah, you're not collecting a paycheck and hoping I don't open any tickets, right? Uh, that's like the standard MO for a lot of MSPs. Um, but once you start working towards building that partnership and that relationship with the client, uh, when you do have issues in the future, because you will, we're all human, right? Something's going to happen. They're not going to get what they want exactly. You're not going to get it. You know, you may slip up and not provide the best service. This will help you to make sure that you started on the foot that allows you to uh, make up from bad situations. Right. Yeah. If you have that good relationship uh, and you accidentally delete their entire critical data server and it takes you a week to get back, they're going to be like, you know what, we appreciate, uh, you know, you've given us credit for the time. Um, you know, we appreciate everything you've done. Uh, we're, they may still leave you for something that critical, but it's going to make it much, the, the chance of that happening is much lower because you're in, you're embedded yourself into them to make sure that you are, uh, actually their IT department and not someone that they pay for services. Yeah, it's the accrued relationship capital, right? And it forgives quite a bit of mistakes, just being honest about them. Um, there is, though, a, a strategic aspect when you're going through these questions, right? Like, 
I, I don't know about you. I would sometimes ask questions that I could discern from looking around just to show the client that we're thinking about this mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, like a perfect example might be backup strategies, right? I would ask them about it, even though I knew perfectly well they were using backup exec and it would be a complete disaster. But you would ask something like, um, you know, the last time you did a test restore, how did that go? Um, yep. It's the kind of thing that takes a little bit of experience to know when it's appropriate to to drop those, but it's really helpful if you can get them in in the right spot. Oh, yeah. Uh, it also, asking questions that you already know the answer to also helps you gauge their level of expertise and their value in technology as well, which is super important. Uh, because if they don't have a lot of technical uh, know-how or understanding, uh, and you can absolutely no tech without actually understanding it. So keep that in mind too. Um, if you are going through that situation and you can see that you can understand and they don't have that super well depth of knowledge, well depth of knowledge, uh, but they also don't value technology. That's going to be a problem because they're not going to trust you in anything you recommend that may be beneficial. And they're also going to uh, not they're going to be much more upset when technology breaks um, because it will break. Right. Um, yes. So. And, and do you value technology is something that ideally you can find out pre-sale right before you, you should even get to the onboarding yes. meeting. You should know that. Yes. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. And, and if you're not getting that, you have, also have to be careful you're talking to in the sales process, right? Because a CEO may not be the person you're dealing with. Um, yeah. So you want to know the stakeholders and you want to know who's going to be your primary contact. And then you want to ask them those pointed questions because uh, the CEO's right. He's going to be the one that signs the checks and okays everything at the end of it. But he's not going to be the one who's uh, understanding of situations. Right. Um, so you got always want to be mindful of who the stakeholders are and who uh, you're actually working with on a daily basis. Yeah. Agreed. Um so, so rereading that post, I think the poster was actually asking about user onboarding. Um, oh. I think. Do do you use that, or, or did you ever have, you know, fill out a form with they need access to this stuff? Um, this is what department they're in, or was it informal? They would send in like, you know, here's their title, here's their manager, make them look like Sally in terms of access. Um. That is a very not clear post, uh, for sure. <laughs> um, so we utilize, we, we use Halo, Halo PSA is our PSA system. And uh, it has the ability to build forms inside of the client portal. Um, mm -hmm. So we have generic forms for 90% of our clients and customized forms for the other 10%. Um, and they fill out those forms requesting whatever they need to request. And that gets handled, uh, it gets all routed magically in the back end uh, to where it needs to go to be able to dealt with. Um, but we have a form for onboarding and offboarding um, because there's, a, again, it goes back to being able to consistently do the same process over and over again um, in a way that uh, you want to make sure that you're doing everything that needs to be done with that. Uh, for example, if you're doing a new user, uh, what groups do they need to be added to? Do they need to be added to distribution groups? Do they need to be set up? Do they, are they going to get a license to this? Like there's, stuff that uh, you might know uh, in the back of your mind, but you're just going to do a ticket, right? You're not going to remember that. You may, and you may call the client and ask, but the client's also not going to remember, which is the most important factor. Uh, which is better than set them up like Sally user, because you might not remember that that person has a license to, you know, InDesign or something. And mm -hmm. so, so have them list out everything they actually need as opposed to clone this person. And uh, in my experience, even if you have systems and uh, if you if a, you know something in place and a client, client emails in, says, hey, I need a new user creator, they start tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> at least it's eight o'clock, they start at nine. Uh, and uh, they're going to forget things as well. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, and they're gonna blame you, uh, not themselves uh, for them not being set up properly. So having a form for both sides to have the clear set expectations um it's much easier to go well you know you didn't fill out the form correctly and we need that form because it tells us what needs to be installed and set up um 
and that's what your account manager should do. Uh, and please don't take a shit. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but it's I, important to do that. So make sure to have forms and stuff so that they're correct. So you, you raise a good point though about the new hire. It is super tempting when making forms like this to do things like set the minimum date you can pick to one week from now for the start date. Um, like just don't, don't do that. You're just going no. to annoy everyone. They're just going to call like, in and not going to fill out the form right? or send an email Tem in. Tempting as it is. And it, it, it is, but all, all you're doing is making friction. Yeah. And they're going to ignore it. You said they'll set a date either in the future and then call you like, why didn't, why isn't this done? I need them to start tomorrow. And then you'll have to change the date anyway, or they'll just email and call in without filling out the form. There's like, it's not going to do anything but cause problems. So, um, but also for those who are, uh, in the know. Uh, there's RPA platforms that exist, which you can utilize to automate a ton of this without you having to do anything. Um, there's a few out there in the world. I'm not going to name any vendors, but you can you know Google it. Uh, and there are people who have set up forms that people fill out and it will go out, create them in Azure, copy the profile that they've selected or that the client has selected, uh, mm -hmm. set up licensing uh, that they've required and you know build a new pc uh that they may have in stock and connected uh like there's a ton of stuff you can do with with those systems nowadays uh, that is really cool uh, and all it does is just add it to the ticket and then boom they don't do anything so yeah automation makes it consistent and less work for techs yeah okay I think that's about it for this episode. Um, yeah. Any any last words you want to leave us with, Kyle? And thanks for for filling in for Ray. Uh, sure. Uh, for those building processes or doing processes, uh, you should always be evaluating your processes to see where they're inefficient and see if you can make them better, because your system, software, and clients are constantly changing. So should your processes. Man, I can't top that. We'll we'll leave it at that. Um, so thanks for, for coming. Thanks for watching us. And we will be back to our regular cadence next week. Bye. been a broadcast of the MSP Media Network.